0: Um, We're going to jump right into scripture. So Bible pastors, could you come on up? Um, Yeah, if you don't have a Bible, this is our gift to you. So just raise your hand. Someone will get you one. And we also have journals. So if you want or need a journal, raise your hand. Because we have a what culture? A note-taking culture. Nice. Let's go. Okay. Yeah, we're going to flip to Luke 5. And we're going to read 5, 1 through 11. All right. Okay, this is what it says. It says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done that, when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. From now on, you'll fish for people. And so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Okay, so a couple of things to note here. I know I usually think of Peter, James, and John as like this, like, you know, like the super low-class peasant type of people. And they're just like poor fishermen. Um, but I think that's actually not the case. Um, they're probably in, the, in like the, the lower middle class. Um <laughs> Because, I mean, they have, this, they have this full thing going on. It's like a full-on fishing company. This is like their business. You guys notice that? They own boats. They own nets. They even know about this like night fishing technique, which apparently, actually, if you go out in deep water and you fish at night, you'll catch more fish. Um, and, yeah, so this is like a full-blown operation, and they're professionals, and they clearly know what they're doing. But the last night, it didn't really seem to go in their favor. caught no fish. And then Jesus, the trained carpenter, gives them some fishing advice. <laughs> yeah, do, uh, do you know how ridiculous that would that would be? It's like it's like an artist telling an IT person, "Have you tried turning it on and off again?" Right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so Jesus tells them to go back out during the day, like bypassing you know, like the the night technique, and then like put up put the nets out. And Peter starts with <laughs> like we've tried that already. <laughs> Um, but because you say so fine, like I'll, let's do it. And this is the first time that we see Peter experiencing the power and trustworthiness of Jesus. And how does he respond? How does Peter respond? He says, "Go away from me, I'm a sinner." It's like as if Peter is like overwhelmed and humbled by this, by this experience. like he, he realizes his level of unworthiness in the face of Jesus. And yet, he doesn't let this realization stop him from saying yes to following Jesus. I think that's key. So, do you guys know that Jesus wants you to say yes to him despite your flaws? Do you know that you don't actually have to fix every little flaw before you say yes to him? No, Jesus says, come as you are. I will make you fishers of people. And so Peter and the rest of the crew, they just left their entire business and followed Jesus. And we see Peter take on the role of, of a disciple of Jesus. And notice that in order for Peter to become a catcher of people, he actually had to stop catching fish. Right? In, in order for the new to begin, the old had to stop. I want to say that again. In, o- in order for the new to begin, the old had to stop. And we see the same thing happen with Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector uh, at the time. And what did he do? He, when Jesus called him, he left immediately and followed Jesus. Later on, Jesus tells potential followers, no one, puts, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. It's pretty intense. And then again, asks the, the rich young ruler to sell everything and follow him which the guy just can't. He feels like, he's like I can't follow him. It basically, what it comes down to is there are no excuses in fully following Jesus. There are no excuses in fully following Jesus. Uh, and of course, this doesn't this doesn't mean that we all must leave our jobs or drop out of school, and that's like the only way to truly follow Jesus. This is more about the cost of discipleship. Just uh, for example, like if our our job or if, this if our school are actually preventing us from discipling others or living out kingdom culture, that might be reason to leave. <laughs> um, but Jesus call to deny ourselves actually involves letting go of the old in order that we would follow him fully. Yeah. Is there anything that you guys are holding on to that's preventing you from being a sold out disciple? Is there anything that you're holding on to that's preventing you from being a sold-out disciple? And what is Jesus telling you to leave behind? Well, Peter continues to be discipled by Jesus, and we we see these moments of clear understanding, and then we also see these moments of impulse. So Peter, like, you know, he proclaims Jesus as the Messiah, and then he, like, he, like walks on water. And then, when Jesus is arrested, he goes and cuts a guy's ear off. What is this guy's deal? Um, it's after these instances also that Peter proclaims boldly to Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, actually, you're going to deny me three times. So let's let's move over to uh, John 18, um, verses 15 and 17, and then 25 through 27. And it reads, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. And because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples, too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. Let's skip ahead, 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there, warming himself by the fire. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I'm not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. So Peter's denial, it wasn't just about not knowing Jesus. It was actually, it was a denial of friendship and lordship. Peter had literally just stated boldly that he would lay down his life for Jesus and then immediately denies knowing him. Talk about double-minded. But what about us? Do we live double lives? Moving from the Jesus circle of friends to the others? Are we the same person in every group of friends? Yeah. So Peter, whose name means rock, um, he showed himself to be pretty inconsistent, unlike a rock. But it was through these experiences that Jesus taught Peter to live fully for the kingdom. It was these moments of failure that were defining moments in his life, and they taught Peter to be the rock that Jesus built his church on. It was the trials that helped Peter become consistently solid, pun intended. Do you guys mind if i if I tell you a story? Okay, cool. Yeah. You do mind? Oh. well. Yeah, I, well, I'm, I'm actually, like, deeply embarrassed by this story, so. Yeah. So, for, <laughs> yeah, well, guys, for, for years, for years, I was a child, okay? For years. It was crazy, yeah. One, o- one of those years, I went to this thing every single day. It was called the second grade. Anyone else? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, those are some good times. Yeah. Yeah, Meredith doesn't know. <laughs> homeschooled <laughs> yeah so i i had just joined the circus arts club with some friends of mine and circus arts <laughs> yeah circus arts yeah we were learning to unicycle um and my my best friend at the time riley he had just gotten his own unicycle and that was like pretty big deal um yeah so he would bring his unicycle to our classroom on the days that we had circus arts and then they would just like sit at the back of the room um, and well, one day, our teacher left the room for whatever reason, and Riley decided that this was his chance. This was his chance to show off his unicycling ability to the rest of the class. And so he ran to the back of the room, grabbed the unicycle, and then tried tried to mount, which, if you guys aren't unfamiliar with unicycling terminology, that just means getting on the unicycle. So, um, And the, the whole class basically just crowded around him and cheered him on, while me, his best friend, decided to sneer at him and chant, fall, fall, you can't do it. Yeah. And right as Riley was about to get going, our teacher walked back into the room just, like, shocked. And Riley had to, like, you know, turn his card to blue. Do you guys have those systems of, like, you know, green, blue, yellow? Yeah, like, yellow is, like, principal's office. So he had to turn, yeah, red was, like, mm, you know, (laughs) yeah. Like, he turned his card to blue, though, so that was a pretty big deal. Um, and then afterward Riley or after school Riley went up to me and he asked me why did you say those things? Is that what friends do? And I just like I just stood there. And I was just deeply ashamed. And yeah, it was like in that moment I had I had basically denounced my friend. I had re- I had like didn't even realize the impact of my words until he asked me that question. And that it just like rang in my head, is that what a friend does? And I wonder if that's what Peter felt when he denied Jesus. Is that what a friend does? Like, what will Jesus think of me after this? Like, he's he's about to die, and the last thing that I did was deny him. So as the, the story continues, um, spoiler alert, Jesus dies, and then he rises again. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then he actually meets up with his disciples afterwards. So you guys want to flip to John 21. Verses 15 to 17. John 21. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus says, (coughs) feed my sheep. So we see three times Peter denying Jesus and three times Jesus asks Peter, he loves him some parallels hmm? yeah jesus knows peter's flaws he knows about his failures yet in love he went to the cross knowing peter's failures in the same way like jesus knows our failures he knows our flaws and in love went to the cross knowing them as well but here's the thing jesus didn't die so that we could feel guilty for ourselves Jesus didn't die so that we could feel guilty for ourselves. He died so that despite our sin we could live and to live as his ambassadors taking care of his sheep. When Peter first said yes to following Jesus, did he know how he would be used? <laughs> no, like there's, like, there's no way he knew. <laughs> like Peter had absolutely no idea that Jesus was going to make him the rock of the church. But He was equipped little by little. He said yes, one decision at a time. He heeded Jesus' correction. And in the same way, I'm guessing that we also don't know how Jesus is going to use us in the future. Unless someone's like a fortune teller out there. Someone raising hand? No? Okay. Um, But yeah, that shouldn't prevent us from seeking him. If we continue to just be equipped little by little, and we continue saying yes, to the heart shaping work of Jesus, He's going to use us. So we we actually see some of this, like some of Peter's transformation in the Book of Acts. So again, we're going to flip again. We're going to go to Acts three eleven through twenty six. Acts three eleven, it says, while the man held on to Peter and John, so they had just they had j- just healed a guy. Um, All the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, you even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, He sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. And immediately after this, the Jewish leaders had Peter and John arrested for proclaiming Jesus as Lord. And Peter, in their presence, filled with the Holy Spirit, tells them about Jesus. In in Acts 4.12, Peter says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven, given to mankind by which we must be saved. And then what happens is he says, when when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I don't know about you guys, but I want people to think that about me, that I spend time with Jesus. We see Peter completely changed after receiving the Spirit. He goes from flat-out denial to proclaiming the name of Jesus boldly. So what the heck happened? Well, he waited to receive the Spirit. And just as he did that, we need the Spirit to empower us. We need the Spirit to empower us. Yeah, this this character transformation, there's a fancy biblical term for it. It's called sanctification. Big word, I know. Yeah, you say with me, sanctification. Nice. Yeah, and this is basically, it's, it's the process of becoming more like Jesus through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's the process of becoming more like Jesus through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So here, here are some things to notice when we are in the process of sanctification. And of course, this will vary from person to person. But in general, we actively want to become more like Jesus in character like we want to become more compassionate and more loving to others. We tend to care about the things that Jesus cared about. For example, you might you might start caring more about your god times than your classes. It's probably a good thing. Yeah. Or like Sierra said last week, she was like instead of like being like, like watching Netflix, she just like listened to sermons all the time. Yeah. That's like that's probably a sign of sanctification. Um, we gain purpose that goes beyond an emotional impulse. We want to share Jesus with others and move beyond our sense of self. And we want to walk toward freedom from sin. These are like, these are just like areas that you're probably going to be in the process of sanctification if you're noticing these things. And if you don't notice those things happening in your life right now and you want to grow in those things, well, don't despair. That's like a great place to be because God wants you to seek him. So start by talking to a mentor. Ask them if they've seen growth in you. Because when we are partnering with God in community, that's where we'll see real change. Right? When we're partnering with God in community, that's where we'll see real change. Yeah. So some some final thoughts, um, worship team. You guys can come on up. Um, I I came across an article by Tim Mackey, and it's called "Y'all Are the Temple of God," <laughs> and it's in the it's in the Bible Project app, um, which you guys should get. It's incredible. Um, yeah, basically they're, they're tracing this theme of temple in the book of Exodus. And it's in, in this article, Tim Mackey, he echoes Paul that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And he says, there are some immense implications here, both for the early church and for us today. So first, there's an aspect of community. There is an inbuilt communal aspect to being a part of God's family. Paul uses the metaphor of the body of Christ to describe the Christian community and how all of the diverse members need each other. There is an inherent assumption of teamwork, cooperation, and unity as the people of God function as the temple today. And then next, there's this aspect of presence. The temple is where God dwells with his people throughout the biblical story. So if the people of God are the temple— that means through these people, or it is through these people that God reaches the world. Does that make sense? If, if the people of God are the temple, that means it is through these people that God reaches the world. And finally, there's a the component of mobility. People traveled from far and wide to encounter God at the temple in Jerusalem. But now, the people of God are the temple and take God's presence to the world. Like people were coming to The temple but now the temple is going to the world if the people are the temple then they must make his glory known to all nations from now until jesus comes back so in closing i have some reflection questions um so number one how are you doing at being a temple in community is there anything that you're holding on to that is preventing you from being a sold-out disciple and what is Jesus telling you to leave behind? Number two, how are you doing at representing Jesus in your day-to-day? How so? And number three, to what extent are you actively seeking more of God's Spirit? What is holding you back from seeking the Holy Spirit? So the worship team is going to be playing um, for a couple of minutes so that you guys can reflect over these questions with the Lord. And then after a few songs... Um, We're going to gather in groups of three to pray for each other.